One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware, weather ready teak, and quick dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com/acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com/acast. Hello and welcome to Saving Lives in Slow Motion. Today I'd like to talk about medical ethics. Now it might seem like a bit of a strange one, but medical ethics is part of every single decision and interaction that anyone has with a healthcare provider. And when I was doing my MRCGP exam many years ago, uh, in 2003 I think it was, yeah, 20 years ago exactly, there was a framework that we had to learn for medical ethics. And I just remember learning it because we had to learn it, but we didn't really have much experience at that point of being a GP because you're still training. And kind of the four pillars, if you like, of medical ethics are, the first one is called beneficence, and that means doing good. The second is not doing any harm, which is called non-maleficence. A little bit of a cumbersome term, I think, in this day and age. Sounds very legal, doesn't it? The third is autonomy, where the patient has choice and they're able to choose treatments and make decisions for themselves if they're able. And the fourth is justice, which makes sure that things are fair and equal for everyone. So, doing good, not doing harm, making sure people have a choice, and fairness. Sounds pretty good. Now, occasionally you, you'll sort of see high-profile cases in the news where medical ethics really come to the fore. Like, for example, in the case of Charlie Gard. Very sad case where parents were really pitched against doctors in terms of what either party thought would be the best way forward or outcome for Charlie. And you can read more about this in the show notes, but essentially he had a really rare genetic condition, meaning that he spent most of his short life um, in hospital. You know, when you think of that framework that I just went over earlier on, the four pillars, if you like, of medical ethics, it's never clear cut because there has to be agreement on what doing good and what doing harm actually means. Really tricky. But coming back to more mundane matters, I mean, that was extremely high profile, very serious, and the stakes were high. You know, you're talking about the life of a baby. There are medical ethics in every decision you make. For example, if I'm in the consulting room and, and I prescribe a particular drug for one patient who has a particular condition, but I don't prescribe the same for the next patient that comes in with that condition, then you could say, well, why? You could ask yourself, how do you 
justify that in terms of medical ethics? Why are you doing something for one patient and not for, for the other? Um, and I've been thinking about this because there are so many factors um, and they often come to light when you're dealing with complaints because people will say in the in the complaint, oh, well, why did Dr. X not do this when Dr. Y did this two years ago for the same thing? And also, is there a difference in ethics in NHS care and private medicine? There shouldn't be, but I want to explore that as well. So I'm going to start with a, a really common real-life example. Occasionally we will get parents of children asking us to prescribe things like hay fever medication or paracetamol. And as the NHS has come under more financial pressure, the guidance that we have as GPs changes every month, actually, sometimes. Um, but we're generally not meant to prescribe things that you can buy from a pharmacy. However, if someone really needs a medication and they genuinely don't have the means to buy it, then it's okay to prescribe it ethically. Now you can see the problem here. Where do you draw the line? How do you ask for proof that someone can't afford a particular medication? And God knows that, you know, everyone's feeling it at the moment because the cost of living is just so high in the UK. And also what happens if your neighbour or your friend is registered with a doctor not too far away and they appear to make referrals for certain things and your doctor doesn't. How does that make you feel? And what are the ethical issues around that? Another one I want you to think about. So some years ago I was sitting in surgery and one of the trainee doctors was sitting in with me and they often do this at the beginning of their training and one of the patients had turned up I think just over 20 minutes late and the trainee doctor said to me you're not going to see them are you you know they're over 20 minutes late and I always tend to run late anyway and I was just typing up notes from the last patient and I said to them okay what if I told you that this next patient is elderly and frail lives on their own is partially blind and lost his wife um, to cancer about a month ago and has himself just come out of hospital. Do you still think I should see him or not? And there's ethics in that. And I guess the point I'm trying to get across is that there's no black and white in medicine. And it's not just the science of medicine and all that kind of gobbledygook that we get hooked up into with drugs and mechanisms and all that stuff. It's also about the fact that we're dealing with human beings. And sometimes you just have to break protocol to do the right thing, even though, you know, what's in writing might say one thing. But we, I believe we ought to have a way of overriding that at times. Another one, you know, getting forms signed or getting a letter from your doctor. I mean, it's the bane of our lives. And, you know, it, it's almost, almost like the whole world wants the doctor to take responsibility for things, you know, whether it's an educational establishment or whether it's a work environment. It's, I'll get a note from your doctor. We often call it GANFID as an acronym. 
And and most of the time, that work is not NHS work, so you charge for it. Any of you who have used the services of a lawyer will know how much they charge just for a phone call or an email. So there's a list of charges, but it's amazing how many people don't want to pay it because they just expect these things for free. And of course, there's a backlog of forms because most of them are not that urgent or important generally. And we take a month to do them. But again, we sometimes break protocol for that if it's something really urgent and important. I know it frustrates people, and this is one of the reasons I want to talk about this, because all of this is underpinned by medical ethics. Now, one of the things that I see very commonly is what people want and what they need and the gap in between the two. And of course, if you're working in a free at point of access system like the NHS, it's based on need and not what people want. Now, in private healthcare, there's a bit of a shift because, yes, of course, there are still ethics, 100%, um, but the balance is slightly tipped in favour of what people want. So, for example, recently I spoke to someone who wanted referring to a dermatologist uh, because of a flare-up of eczema, which was quite easy to deal with. And obviously a dermatologist would be better at managing that than a GP. But there's no way it was bad enough to warrant a referral to dermatology. And, you know, nowadays we use something called advice and guidance with photos. And actually there was a conversation about, look, let's try this first. If it doesn't work, then I'm happy to refer you. Whereas if you've got private health cover or you want to go and see someone privately, you just pay for it and that's it. You see who you want, when you want, within reason. Then the slightly darker thought I have with that is the next step. So you're in your private appointment and there's a range of treatments. So again, in in a free service like the NHS, there's a limitation to what you are able to access uh, for lots of reasons, um, lots of Drugs are not available on the formulary and treatments only go to a certain point. And again, in the private sector, um, you know, the, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is if, if, if you were a surgeon working in the private sector and you're going to make more money by doing a certain procedure, then they may, you know, unethically make the patient think that they need that procedure. I guess that's the danger, isn't it? And, you know, no doctor who who is worth their salt and um, is following the principles of good medical practice would do that. But I've seen it happen, you know, in not just in the UK and in, in many countries, actually, where medicine's very commercial and is linked to affordability. I think the themes that um, also pervade, which are very important, that we haven't covered in that initial ethical framework are consent, confidentiality, and duty of candour. So the last one, duty of candour, is basically where you can't just fudge over something. If you've made a mistake as a healthcare professional, you have to put your hands up and admit to it. Thankfully, gone are the days where things are brushed under the carpet. And consent and confidentiality, I remember years ago I was in an operating theatre and 
a lady hadn't signed a form for consent to have a coil put in, which is what she wanted uh, under general anaesthetic. And the doctor that was meant to be getting the consent form signed didn't forgot to add the insertion of a coil and suddenly said to the consultant, oh, wait, should we just put it in now? And he quite rightly said, absolutely not, because she hasn't signed and agreed to it, even though she said verbally that she wanted it. Um, you are going to have to tell her that you forgot to get her to sign the form and that her GP is going to have to put the coil in as an outpatient. And and this is an interesting one because actually that lady, you know, when she'd come round, probably would have thought, oh, I had the coil put in, but then, you know, may have been told, well, you didn't sign the form, but we knew you wanted it. And that would have saved her having to go and get an appointment with the GP to get it put in. But legally, and from an ethical standpoint, not putting it in was the right thing to do. Absolutely. And this is what makes medical ethics so interesting and difficult, because there are, there are these situations where there are camps of opinions, and often in general practice it's to do with wants versus needs versus how urgent the patient thinks something is compared to how urgent you know the the doctor or the clinician thinks it is i'm going to leave you with a quandary because i I don't think people generally understand just how much medical ethics govern everyday practice whatever kind of medical practice you're in and this is a real one you know that colleagues of mine have had to face so the scenario is there are three itu beds and you've got four patients that need those beds. How do you decide who gets those three beds and which one patient misses out and potentially comes to harm? These are the everyday decisions that clinicians have to make. And of course, in the NHS, in a way, it's easy because it's based on need and everything is a finite resource. That example's about rationing purely because of a lack of resource. So... I guess, look, I'm going to call it there because I just wanted to get people thinking about what goes on behind the scenes in the minds of healthcare practitioners across the world, in some countries more than others, definitely. Finally, a quote. You know, I like quotes and there are loads on ethics, some that you may have heard already, but my favourite one is by John Knoll and it's this. Any tool can be used for good or bad. It's really the ethics of the artist using it. And I think that's right, you know, you've just got to give every single thing enough thought and do what is right and be able to justify it. Not always easy, never is. Do let me know if you've got any stories about medical ethics. It's an absolute minefield but absolutely fascinating at the same time Um, in the meantime do keep the topics and the suggestions coming in i am loving them and also listen thank you for listening again i really appreciate it do stay well take care and until next time bye for now
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.